0: Welcome to New Community Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to hear today's message. We are encouraged to hear how God is using this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share or a prayer request for our prayer team, please email us at connect at newcommunity.co. Now please prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Well, good morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? morning? Great. I'm glad to hear that. So good to see each and every one of you here and If you're our guest this morning, maybe it's your first time, I want to start just by introducing myself. My name is Aaron, and I am the lead pastor here at NCC, and we're so excited that you're joining with us this morning. We are a church that's passionate about making people and places new, and we want to help you grow in your relationship with God and continue to move forward. And this morning, before I jump into the message, I want to share an update with you really quickly Many of you know that um, Jenna Santa Cruz, our associate kids pastor, and Philip Whitmire, our associate student pastor, they've been serving the past nine months in a protege program here with us at New Community Church. And what the protege program is, is it's through Southwestern Assembly of God University, and they get a chance the last year of their degree program where they're studying to be pastors to serve in a local church. And so we had the privilege of hosting them. in that program came to an end at the end of um, April here, right at the beginning of May. And so we sat down with both of them and just talked about what God was doing, where God was leading them, what they felt like was next in their life. And so I'm excited to announce that Jenna, who's just graduated, has accepted the kids pastor position here at NCC. So we're super excited about that. And please let her know when you see her what a blessing she is. She has a passion for discipling kids and does such a great job. And in the same way, we sat down with Phil And just talked with him about um, praying together with him and having conversations about what he felt like was next and where God was leading him. And through a series of these conversations, Phil shared with us that um, he has one more semester of his protege program. And he feels God is calling him back to his home church in Longview, Texas to finish out the protege program there. And it's always hard when God brings people that we love and that they're a part of our church. But I don't believe we're losing Phil. We're, We're sending him out. And I truly believe that what he's learned over the past number of months while he's been here, the way that you guys have loved him, the way that he's grown as a pastor, that he's going to take that. He's going to be leading the student ministry in his home church. And we're believing that God's just going to use him and continue to expand the influence that we've had over his life into other areas as he continues forward in what God said. And so he's actually upstairs teaching right now. But can we just put our hands together and celebrate the blessing that Phil has been? He has done an amazing job here at NCC, and we're going to miss him. Please let him know how much we love him and um, just the blessing that he's been to our church. And during this time, you know, we've been talking with the board here at the church and with the leadership of our church. We are passionate about pouring into the next generation. And so we've been asking and praying, God, bring us someone who's going to continue that in the student ministry. We want someone that's going to just take up where, you know, where Phil's brought us and continue the vision there. And so I want to introduce to you this morning Caleb Bagby. And you can see his photo up here on the screen. Caleb just graduated from Southwestern Assembly of God University with a ministry degree. He has a bachelor's degree in being a student pastor. So his passion is for students sixth through the 12th grade. And he's going to be joining us next week. Next Sunday will be his first Sunday here. He spent the past four years ministering at the Oaks Fellowship. Many of you guys know that church. It's one of our partnering churches. And he served in the student ministry doing large outreaches, um, big student outreaches, ministering to kids, and also starting Bible ministries in junior high and high school um, campuses. And so he does a great job just really reaching out to the schools, which is a big passion that we have. And so we know he's going to do a tremendous job. We're excited that God's bringing him on board. And then also that Wednesday night, May 25th, We're going to have an opportunity. We're going to throw a pizza party for all of our students, 6th through the 12th grade. And they're going to get a chance just to get to know Caleb, ask him questions, and find out more about him. And so if you have a student, I want to encourage you make sure that they do not miss that night. It's going to be a great opportunity to connect with Caleb. And so, man, we're excited where God is taking us. Please pray for Jenna and Phil and Caleb as they move into this next season of life that God's directing them into. And as they follow where God is leading them, we're believing for exciting things for their life and also for the church here at NCC. And today we're kicking off this brand new series called James, and we're going to be talking about the essentials of the faith. These are things that are essential in our life. Now, as you look up there, you may see things that are vital for your everyday, like a cup of coffee. How many of you guys, you cannot start your day with that that morning cup of coffee? Only one of you is going to admit that. Okay, there's more hands right there. Um, I know a lot of you guys, man, you can't get going, and some of you guys are pointing out the person sitting next to you. Okay, thank you for that honesty there. Some of you guys, you can't get going without that morning cup of coffee, or there's other things, like if you forget your wallet at the house, you turn back. It's vital. You've got to have those things as a part of your life, and it's that same thing in our walk with Christ, you guys. There are things that are vital in our Christian faith, in our walk with Christ that We need them to continue to grow. And James, this book in the Bible does a tremendous job. This writer named James, he does an amazing job of just sharing with us what are the things that are essential to our walk with Christ? What are the things that are vital as we grow, as we move forward in our relationship with God that we need to continue to follow and walk after Jesus? And so we're gonna spend the next few weeks just looking at this. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can open up to the book of James. We're gonna start right there in James chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you. It may be one or two seats over, and you can open up that Bible and turn to page 586 and follow along with us. And as you do that, once you get to James chapter one, I want you to just hold that for a quick moment. And we're going to talk just about who wrote James, when it was written, um, some of the circumstances, who it was written to, because it's going to help us understand more of what James is saying and what it is that God wants to speak to us this morning as we look at this book of the Bible over the next few weeks. So James was written by a man named James. Sounds pretty obvious from the title of the book. And there's a number of people, if you've read through the New Testament, through the Gospels, the life of Jesus, he had two disciples named James. But this was actually written by the brother of Jesus. Okay, so this is Jesus' half-brother. And if you've read through the Gospels or if you're familiar with them, it may seem a little odd because Jesus' brothers, they didn't start off believing in him. And there's one part where they're like, okay, Jesus, you say that you're the son of God. You say that you're that special and and all of that. Why don't you prove it? Go to Jerusalem, do these miracles, stand up, start teaching, let everyone know exactly who you are. Probably a lot how your brother or sister treats you. Okay, that's how they treated Jesus there. There was that sibling rivalry there. There was that competition. And so they don't truly trust in who Jesus is. But as we come to this point where James is sitting down writing this book, he's traded in his doubts for faith. And he begins to write what it's meant that his brother, that he realizes that he is the Son of God, that that he is sent from God, and the difference that it has made in his own life, and he's challenging the early church, these first believers, that they would follow after Jesus, and that they would live this faith, what it is that Jesus is calling them to. Now, James was one of the first books written in the part of the Bible called the New Testament. It was written just 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so before Matthew sat down and wrote about the birth and the life of Jesus and John and all of these, James sits down and he writes this letter to the early church. And he's challenging them that even after these 20 years as Christianity is expanding, that they would not lose the essentials of their faith, that they would not forget what it is that Christ is calling them to, that they wouldn't throw in the towel in the midst of even difficult circumstances, that they would continue to follow after who Jesus was, because this is what was happening in the early church. Christianity was no longer contained to the city of Jerusalem where it started, but it had begun to spread all throughout the Roman Empire. And so now Christianity is popping up in modern day Europe and Asia and all of these different places down into Africa. And James is writing this letter to the church because the church is facing opposition. They're in the midst of this culture, the Roman Empire, who is opposing Christianity and they're opposing it to the place that they're taking Christians, people that they find out that are followers of Christ, they're throwing them in prison, they're torturing them, they're even killing them. One of the Roman emperors would take you, if he found out that you were a Christian, he would tar you and light you on fire to light his garden parties. So Christians are facing extreme persecution. They're in this culture, they're going to other places where people are worshiping other gods, where people don't believe what they believe, and James is saying, hey, don't give up on the faith. Don't forget what Christ has called you to. Don't forget how Jesus has commanded you to walk. Live a life that's honorable in the way that God is challenging you to live. And so James is writing this letter to the church. Don't give up. Continue to pursue this relationship with God. Continue to pursue what it is that Christ is calling you to. And so how is a book that was written thousands of years ago relevant to us today? I mean, we're not being thrown in prison. We're not being killed for our faith in Christ. But in that same way, we live in a culture that many times is opposed to what we believe as Christians. I mean, you think, you look in the political arena and laws that are being made that violate what we believe the Bible says about so many different issues. You even look out of the political arena, just in our everyday life, in the culture, media and movies and TVs, all of these things. How do they depict Christians? And Christians are usually the person in the TV show that that doesn't really have a touch on reality, right? They're these backward-thinking people who don't really understand what's going on around them. We live in a culture that's opposed to what we believe about Jesus and who he is. And these words that rang true to the early church that James is challenging them with are the same words that we need to hear thousands of years later that we would be persistent that we would grow that we would follow what Christ has for us and we wouldn't give up on what Christ is calling us towards and so this these next few weeks are going to be challenging us in our life about the essentials of the faith. And so this is what we're going to do as a church over the next few weeks. We're going to read through the book of James together. Every single day we're going to go through and we're going to read a chapter. It's just 5 chapters super easy. Those of you that have never read a book since you left high school, this is your chance right here, okay? So we're going to read through this book. It's going to be super simple, and we're going to read it more than once. Now, you may be asking, Aaron, after I read it the first week, why do I need to go back and read it again? It's because you may have missed something, and God's Spirit has this opportunity as we reread Scripture to challenge us with something that we didn't see before, something that matters when we're at the school or when you're in your workplace, when you're in your neighborhood. And so we're going to continue to read and ask God to show us something new every day. And we're going to give you this. As you walk out this morning, you're going to get this little token reminder that has the James logo on it, the logo for this series. And I want you to carry this with you. Guys, put this in your pocket. So throughout your day, as you reach into your pocket, you're reminded, God, what is it that you're challenging me to live out in my faith today? Women, I would tell you to put it in your purse, but let's be honest, it's going to get lost in there, okay? So maybe somewhere else where it's going to be a great reminder, somewhere where you're going to see it. And just a quick prayer, God, what is your spirit speaking to me today? What did I read about today from the book of James that you want to challenge me with? And how can I live that out for others? God, what are you wanting to do to draw me closer to you? And so grab one of these on your way out. We're going to read this together and allow God's spirit to speak to us every day. So let's look at James chapter one. If you still have that open, we're gonna start right here at verse one. It says this, James chapter one, verse one. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, this brother of Jesus says, man, I've surrendered my life to him. I see the power that he has and my life isn't lived for myself anymore. I'm actually a servant of Jesus. I'm living and sacrificing everything that I am for all that he wants for me. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, this is to Christians everywhere everyone who will read this he says this James chapter 1 verse 2 count it all joy my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing So how does James start? He starts this letter to Christians that are in this culture that's opposed to what they believe. They're facing facing difficult circumstances and situations that are being persecuted and in prison. And he starts with this. Hey, you're going through some difficult times, but it actually should be joy in your life. Count it as joy inside of you when you're facing these trials, when hardship comes in your life, no matter how big or no matter how small, of various kinds, let there be joy in your life because of what you're going through. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know what James is thinking. When I'm facing a hard thing, joy isn't the first thing that comes to my mind, you guys. A lot of other words, a lot of other thoughts, but usually not joy. So, what is it that he's talking about here? What is it that he's challenging the church with? I believe it's this, and it's the title of the message today. It's that your pain has purpose. Your pain has purpose, church. The difficult things that you're going through in your family, with your finances, in your workplace, in all of these areas, God has a purpose for your life. They're not just random things happening to you, but God takes even those painful and difficult moments in your life and he turns them around for his purpose. That's what James is reminding the church here. Hey, consider it joy. Joy. Have this understanding that it may not always be happy in your life, but there's this joy. There's this understanding that God is present with you even in the most difficult times in your life. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, church, Jesus is present with you in that moment. The difficulty that you're facing, the small things, the large things, God is wanting to produce something inside of you. And what is it that God produces? What is it that God uses your pain to produce inside of you? Your pain produces perseverance. He says that. Consider it joy when you go through these various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith, you know what it is that you're going through, is producing steadfastness. It's producing this perseverance in your life. God is strengthening you through the trials that you're going through so that you can be so much stronger. Now, I find myself in my personal life that my prayers aren't praying for trials. I'm praying to get out of them, church. I'm praying, God, deliver me, like rescue me from this situation. God, this is so hard. I don't want this to happen. I spend time worrying. God, what about my finances? What about this? How's this going to work out? I spend my time doing that. And James is challenging the church. No, it's actually joy. You've just gone through a hard time. It should be joy in your life. God's wanting to produce something. God's doing something. He's strengthening you and making you steadfast and perseverance being there in your life. So James says you need to look at it differently, church don't give up. Don't throw in the towel. Don't start to believe, you know what? God's given up on me. This is a really hard time. And so my faith must be a fraud. This must not be something real. And so I'm done with this. James says, no, it's joy. God's actually at work in your life in those moments. We see this all around us, how pain produces something. I can remember being in my third and fourth grade science class, and I'm reading through my science book, And I'm appalled at what I read. I read about different animals in the forest. And there's this bird who whenever this mom bird has these eggs and they hatch, she takes care of them, right? Feeds them the worms and all of that. But there's a certain point in which the bird needs to fend for itself. And so what does the parent do? The mom actually pushes the bird out of the nest You guys, this is a trial for a baby bird. It is screeching all the way down 20 or 50 feet. It's yelling, it's flapping its wings. This is a desperate situation. But the mom knows that it needs to do this. And so the bird's thinking, man, my parent has just killed me. I'm about to fall to my death. When all of a sudden that pain, that trial, that desperate situation begins to pay off. And for the first time, that bird begins to fly. And if the mom bird had just left it comfortable in the nest, that baby would not have survived. It wouldn't have been strengthened. It wouldn't have learned how to kind of survive on its own, but there's something about putting it in that extreme situation where all of a sudden that bird for the first time begins to soar, begins to be able to live on its own. It becomes stronger than just the bird it was in the nest just a few moments ago. I can remember this when Josiah, our oldest son was born and we were being rushed into an emergency C-section And I'm picturing what I see in the movies and on TV, right? There's this beautiful white kind of emergency room. The doctors are there. They take this beautiful new baby and wrap him all cuddled up. It's all quiet. And they give him to the mom. But that is not what happened. They're pulling Josiah out, right? Like, man, he's flailing. They're sticking stuff up his nose. I don't know if you guys have ever been there in an actual labor room. They're sticking stuff down his throat, right? The doctor's slapping him, breathe, breathe. Like, all of this is going on. There is pain in that moment for Josiah, but the doctor has to actually do that because it's what produces life. It's what caused Josiah to begin to scream and breathe for the first time and what allowed him to survive. See, doctors know that, that there's actually pain in those first few moments, because it's what helps life be sustained. You actually become stronger. I mean, you all do this. I see this on so many of your Instagram posts and everything, right? You're going to change. You're going to get healthy now, right? Your stomach is crying out for the Doritos and the Twinkies, but man, you're saying no to your body, and there's pain in that moment. You start to lift weights, your muscles are screaming, you're sore the next morning, you can't run as far, your lungs are crying out for breath, right? All of this happens. Why do you go through that pain? Why would you put yourself through that? It's because you're training for something, you're doing something, you're improving your health. You know that that pain has a purpose inside of your life. It's going to produce something. That's what James is saying happens in our walk with Christ. Church, you're not going through that trial just for no reason. It's not just happenstance. God wants to take that painful situation, whatever it is that you're going through, and he wants to turn it around and produce something in your life. He wants to make you stronger on the other side. He wants to produce a stronger faith and a closer walk with him, even in the midst of trials and difficulties. And the enemy wants wants you to believe that God has abandoned you. And God says, no, I'm right there present in your pain. I'm at work inside of your life. I'm doing something inside of you. I'm strengthening you and I'm making you stronger in your faith and in your walk with me. Church, how do you see those trials in your life? Are you considering it joy? Do you understand that God is producing something inside of you and the painful situations are part of God's process? He's not abandoned you, but he's working inside of your life. There's this Christian writer and he said it like this. He said, You know what, the meaninglessness in our life when we lose direction, it doesn't come because of those painful situations. It actually comes from pleasure. It becomes when everything's comfortable and we're no longer challenged to grow anymore. Those painful growth process is no longer present in our life. Christianity is not the hope that you would just be comfortable and that everything would go perfect in your life. Christianity is this call from Christ that you would become better, that you would grow stronger, that he would strengthen your walk with God, that day after day, the essentials of your faith is that you would look more and more like Jesus wants you to look, that you would constantly be changed into his image. And that's what James is reminding you, that growth is painful, but consider it joy because God is producing perseverance in you. So what does that mean? It means I stop running from those painful situations. Pain doesn't cause me to run away from God. It causes me to run towards him. No longer does the difficulty in my life produce doubt, but it strengthens my faith. It lets me know, God, you're going to do something. You're going to make me stronger on the other side of this, God. You're going to use this hard situation, God, to draw me closer to yourself and to make me the person that you're wanting me to become. See, God's producing something through your life. And so what do I do? Church, I spend time praying And I no longer pray, God, rescue me from this. Get me out of this as quick as you can. But I start to pray, God, is this obstacle really an opportunity? And what is it that you're wanting to do in my life? God, what is it that you're wanting to speak to me in this moment? How do you want to change me and shape me so I come out on the other side more like you? Church, I get deeper in his word when I'm going through a trial. I open up scripture more and I begin to read it more. Why? Because it blocks out the voice of the enemy that wants to lie to me and tell me God's abandoned you. God's rejected you. God's not listening to your prayers. You're not worthy to be a Christian. The word of God blocks out all of those things. And I start to remember God's word where it says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God's not left you, church. He's right there in the midst of your pain. He's working on your faith, even in the midst of that difficult situation. What do I do? I draw closer to God. I get close enough where his voice becomes so clear in my life that the voice of culture, the voice of the enemy, the voice of Satan begins to be drowned out by the clarity of God's voice in my life, where he's calling to me, where he's strengthening me, where he's making me stronger and he's drawing me into that relationship that he wants to have with me. Church, your pain has a purpose and it's producing something in your life. It's producing perseverance and strength. James ends this section. If you still have your Bible open, you can read this, James chapter one, verse 12. It says this, just a number of verses down there. James 1:12. blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. When you don't give up in the midst of hard times for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Church, your pain is producing a reward when you don't give up, when you don't throw in the towel, when you say, God, you're doing something inside of me, and so I'm going to continue in my faith with you. James says there's actually a reward for us. He reminds us that that God is going to do something. God is going to bless our life. And what is it that James is talking about, this crown of life? What is it that God is giving us? It's not just eternal life, like after you die, someone's going to bury you in a coffin, and then... You're going to go to heaven to be with Jesus. No, the reward of eternal life isn't just out there somewhere in the future. It's right here right now. It's on your Monday morning when you go into work and there's that difficult situation. It's when you're in the midst of school and there's hard circumstances and you say, God, I'm trusting that you're present there with me in the classroom with me. God, you're speaking to me. See, it's that God is present in the midst of our pain. That's the reward that we're looking for. Not somewhere out there in the future. Heaven isn't just some big mansion or some crown of gold. No, it's to be present with God. And that doesn't start out there somewhere in the future. It starts right now, church. Your pain as you persevere, it produces a reward in your life. And God isn't some God that says, hey, I'm going to make life really difficult for you. I hope you survive it and I hope you go through it. No. He's the God that's present in the midst of our pain. And Jesus was the, actually the first one that said, I'll go through it. I'll do it first. He went through the cross. He endured the hardship of your sin and my sin. He took that upon himself. He endured that pain and that suffering. Why? So that we could know the righteousness of Christ. See, he understood pain had a purpose. And we needed what he was gonna go through so that our relationship with God could be restored. We don't serve a God who throws us into it. We serve a God who leads the way, who steps in the midst of difficulty and says, I'm right with you. I'm producing something in your life. I've not abandoned you. I'm there in your hardest moments, and I'm walking with you, church. I'm walking with you. I'm going through what you're going through, and I'm going to be there to make sure that you come out on the other side stronger, more bold, a better leader, a better mom, a better dad, a better worker. I'm going to be with you through that trial because I'm producing something inside of your life. Church, don't lose hope. Don't lose faith. A matter of fact, when you see that trial coming, consider it pure joy because you know that God is at work inside of your life. Church, this is essential to our faith. This isn't a Sunday thing. This is an everyday thing as you're walking through your life. Don't forget this. God is with you even in the most difficult moments. We're gonna end this service just by remembering what Christ did and leading the way in his pain, having a purpose in our life of how he went to the cross and what that means for us as a church. So I'm gonna ask the ushers and those that are helping us, if they would come forward up front here to the altar, we're gonna take communion together. Says in Matthew chapter 26, this was the night before Jesus was getting ready to be betrayed and go to the cross he sat in a room with his disciples, with these 12 guys that he had spent the past few years with. And as he sits down with them, he partakes of this meal, it was called the Passover. And they're eating together and as he does that, he takes some of the bread that's on the table and symbolically he breaks it. And he begins to hand it to them and he says, this is my body which is about to be broken for you. This is my body which is about to go to the cross, the the whipping that I'm about to take for you and as you do this, remember me. He also takes the cup and he says, this is symbolic of my blood that's about to be shed. My blood's being shed for the forgiveness of your sin, for every mistake that you've made, for every wrong thing that you've done. I'm giving up my life so that it can cover you. Jesus, the perfect sacrifice in Matthew 26, 26, this is what he says. As he breaks the bread, he gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat this, it's my body. And he took the cup and after he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And this morning, as you hold this in your hand, we're just going to take a moment and just say, thank you. Thank you, God, for what you did for giving yourself. If you're in the room this morning and you have a physical sickness, maybe you're struggling in your body. His body was broken for us. The word of God says in Isaiah that it's by his stripes, the lashes on his back, that we are healed and we believe that this morning. And so as we pray, just ask for healing. Receive that healing in your life. We're gonna thank him for the cup, for his blood that was shed for us. Let's do that this morning, church, and give thanks to him. God, we come before you, Lord. And God, I say thank you for your body that was broken. Lord, you took my place on the cross. God, you gave yourself for me, Lord. God, you took my place. And Lord, I believe that that every stripe, God, the piercing of the nails into your skin, God, it was for our healing, God, for our redemption, Lord. It was our iniquities that put you there, God. And you gave yourself. So this morning, we say thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for that healing. Lord, thank you for what you did on the cross, God. I say thank you for your blood, Lord. God, for my sins, for every mistake, for every sinful thought, for every sinful action, Lord, your blood has covered them, God, and I can know your righteousness and your redemption because of your forgiveness, because of what you did, God. I'm now part of your family. Thank you, God, for what you did. Jesus, we celebrate, we remember your sacrifice, God, and we say thank you for that. Church, let's eat and drink this together this morning. And then right where you're at as we're together up here as a church, let's just begin to sing this out in a celebration of what Christ has done, the sacrifice that he made for us, church. Just begin to sing this together.